Hi, I'm Ant. I'm Phoebe. And this is Creator Generation. The best thing is to just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep putting out new content, create some products, and just try to be there for your audience. And over time, you will find that people will start to love you and they'll start to brag about you to their friends. And it will happen. You will build that audience. This week on the pod, it's just me, Ant, with Phoebe. And we are joined by creator and entrepreneur... Sarah Renee Clark. Sarah has a pretty great YouTube channel. It's not massive, but what we've got her on the show for is she's got a banging business off the back of it, and she shares some really great insights on how you too can develop your own products, get them in the hands of your viewers. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to Creator Generation. This week, we are joined by Sarah Renee Clark. It's me, Ant, and Phoebe's here. We don't have Fred, so we get to do what we want with this one. Um, <laughs> who knows where it's going to go? Look out. The kids have got the keys to the car. Um, anyway, sorry, Sarah, you have to be on this ride with us, but welcome. I'm not so sure about this anymore, but okay, thank you. <laughs> no, no. You're safe. You're safe for now. Um, we'll go off the rails later. Um, well, other than having, you know... Two first names, or almost three first names, so I don't know if we can trust you at, at all. Um, like, maybe, well, that's clearly not a very good introduction. No. Yeah. <laughs> Should Let's I explain if... the names thing? Because I have so oh, many people yeah. ask yeah. me whether they should call me Sarah or Sarah Renee. Or is that, Clark. Is that a really not, not exciting way to start the podcast, or is that Let's actually interesting? Because it. It's a common question. I never expected it to be. So Sarah Clark is possibly, at least in Australia, one of the most common names you can come across. If you try and search Sarah Clark on Facebook, there are hundreds of them. In fact, I'm pretty sure yeah. at my old house there was one that lived across the road because I accidentally got her prescriptions a few times. And there was also one that used to work in the same um, business as me for a little while. And so I was like, if I try and brand everything under Sarah Clark, no one's ever going to be able to find me. So I needed to think of another way. And so Renee's actually my middle name, which has been interesting because now for me personally, when I see Sarah Clark, I think of me personally. When I see Sarah Renee Clark, I think of my business. So when I have to fill out documents with my full name and I write Sarah Renee Clark, it feels like I'm lying and that's not my real name because it's my business name. So it's, it's, um, I've kind of separated. It doesn't feel like my real name anymore, but yeah, it's actually my middle name. Amazing. That's so smart. I would never have thought to do that. So people could just call me Sarah. There's a public announcement. My name is Sarah. <laughs> and if, if Phoebe or anyone else in Australia wants to d- disappear, they just, that's your generic name you want to take is Sarah Clark. And yeah, oh you'll be fine. You'll disappear forever. Absolutely. <laughs> Next time I go to Starbucks, I'm going to say my name is Sarah Clark because when you'll I probably say get a free coffee, there'll probably be one already there, ready, <laughs> loaded up for a Sarah Clark. There's probably one in the room. <laughs> Wait a minute, life. I actually grew up in school, and in the 20 kids in our class, we had four Sarahs Whoa. out of 20 kids. Well, well <laughs> Sorry, totally off topic. <laughs> Sarah Renee Clark, whatever your name might be. Um, well, <laughs> For, you know, fans of yours will will know who you are straight away. But like, for those of you who don't know your channel, what like or your channel and creative business? Let's start with mm. channel anyway. What what's your jam? What do you do? What what are you about? So on YouTube, I'm kind of known by many as the person who turns coloring books into masterpieces. I often t- like to take kids coloring books in particular. I like to take something like I actually did a bluey coloring book for our Aussie fans. 
and I took it and I colored it with all of my very expensive adult coloring supplies, like really expensive pencils, artist grade stuff and turned it into something you could frame in a wall. Um, The other side of my business is that I try to help other people to be creative as well. Mm. Um, And a lot of my audience use coloring books as, and not kids, I'm not talking kids, I'm talking adults, (laughs) use coloring books as a way to try and sort of stretch stretch their comfort zone a little bit and actually get started in doing something creative because it's not a blank canvas. It is kind of like an easy foot in the door and... I help them to try and do those first few steps, just get started to find the right tools and to actually help pick their colors and help find things that work just to give them that confidence and kind of get rid of that fear that they're not creative. Oh, I absolutely love that. That's like, that's like inner child work, right? Like, like encouraging your inner child to have confidence. And maybe you were scared at school to be creative and do all this stuff. And now you're big. It's like, just do it. Just get started. Give it a go. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I found how many people like as kids, we all draw and we all do creative things. We all dance. We all do all this stuff. And then we become adults and all of a sudden everyone starts saying, I'm not a creative person. And they start like using this statement. And it's the one thing that I've sort of really made a mission in my business is to teach people that you don't have to put that label on yourself, that creativity is a muscle. And the reason you don't feel like you're creative is because you've stopped using it at some point in your life. And the only thing that's really stopping you is that fear of starting again. And so really just teaching people, it just, you just need to take baby steps and just have a go. And if you just have a go and start small, anyone actually has the ability to be creative. It's just that like, you might not be a a professional artist, that doesn't mean you're not creative. And so it's just trying to help adults actually, like you said, rediscover that child in themselves that wasn't afraid and that wasn't afraid of people judging them and wasn't afraid of what other people thought and is just willing to get out there. And and so many people have actually said that because of watching my videos or just even just being a part of the groups that I've set up, that they've actually just found that all of a sudden they're creating again for the first time in 20 years. I love that. And I think too, as we get older, we're sort of conditioned to place value on things that we're good at or that can make us money or things we can succeed at. But life isn't just about those. There's all these other moments in between where you can have fun and just do something you love. And I mean, as creators, we know, right? You don't start your channel and you're immediately good at it. (laughs) It's start and learn and grow and have fun with it. And next thing you know, it's something more. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Exactly. 100%. Well, I can relate. Like I've I've been traveling a fair bit overseas internationally. We were in LA together, Sarah, for a summit couple of weeks ago and and prior to that i was over in toronto so a couple of long-haul flights so i bought myself a couple of coloring books Did you? New, nice. new pencils yeah because i was like oh i just don't want to sit there and just watch That's stuff great idea i didn't time. even think about mm, doing that on a plane yeah. that makes so much sense yeah yeah like, i mean everyone must have like a it's not a kid coloring in book, but it's no. you know still full of like little monsters and weird things going on. I'm coloring them in. I'm <laughs> you know just doing my thing. Like why not? Um, and it's it's so much better. Yeah, and people really underestimate how creative you can be in a coloring book. You don't just have to color in the lines. And that's like on my channel, I really try to show people that you can actually create really crazy art with a coloring page. Like it's really not as simple as just coloring the lines. Yeah. And you've been obviously working at them, but like where, like what made you start with a YouTube channel about this sort of, about thing, this coloring? Um, it's actually, yeah. so sort of, we'll have to come around to this again a little bit when we start Let's talking about some of the other stuff I do, because <laughs> um, I actually started in products, not 
as mm. a creator. So when mm. I was on maternity leave, I because I actually have a little bit of a graphic design background, didn't study it, but just self-taught. Like I guess a lot of people do just kind of learn things on the fly after high school. Yeah. And um, I saw that um, there was this big coloring book craze in America, mostly, not mm. so much here in Australia. But I was trying to find something to do so that I didn't have to go back to work when I was on maternity leave. And I saw these coloring books that were really popular, popular in America. I wasn't into coloring at the time, but I was like, hey, I could probably draw one of those. And so I created one and we sold, I think it was 50 books in the first month. And I went, oh, okay, there might be something to this. And so I sort of chased yeah. that, that rabbit hole a little bit and, and went and um, created more books and the business kind of snowballed from there. Um, but somewhere along the way, I noticed that Every time another YouTuber would talk about my products in their channel, our sales would go up a lot. And it was every time someone else did a video, it would massively affect our sales. Whereas I was putting in daily effort into every other platform like Facebook and Instagram <laughs> and everything else we would do. And we wouldn't see the same effect as when someone else, not even me, would talk about my product in like a single video. And so we stopped at some point and I hated being on video, but I said, we just need to accept at some point that I need to just suck it up and get on video. And I actually started just in my Facebook group, just starting to do like Facebook lives. And I had the real attitude oh, back yeah. then of just, I need to learn to be bad at, bad at this now so that one day I'll be good at this. I need to learn to um, just make my mistakes and do the awkward yeah. and get it over with because... Yeah. I need to get better at video. And so I kind of like just went through that. Um, if you follow Mr. Beast on YouTube, he talks about make your hundred crappy videos. I kind of went through that process <laughs> even before jumping on YouTube because I knew that you, that video was the future and I just had to figure it out and learn how to do it. And so I just found a way to just make my mistakes and embrace the awkwardness. And it's funny because now I look back and now videos feel easy and it feels natural, but it definitely didn't when I started. And we definitely see now since having a YouTube channel and seeing that blow up, like my, my Facebook group is just growing now because people have connected with me personally and all of my other platforms, suddenly all of that really difficult growth, like Instagram was like, I hated Instagram. It was so frustrating yeah. trying to grow it. As soon yeah. as YouTube started to grow, Instagram just started to grow on its own. Like it just started to work. Um, and then my email list we were seeing like a 20% open rate with like 10,000 followers. All Whoa. of a sudden that 20% went up to 50% yeah. open rate. The only difference being that people were seeing my face on a video. There was no other difference in anything that we did strategy wise everywhere else, except that we started doing YouTube. And so being on video, it just flowed into everything else. And so like now my one bit of advice that I tell my friends when they're either early on in a business or like, where do I start? It's like, regardless of what you're doing with your products, I'm like, just find a way to get on video because it's, it's the sooner that you can build an audience and build that face-to-face -face connection is that that's going to create trust with an audience that yeah, I right. feel like in, in this day and age, that is crucial that without that, you're going to be taking a lot longer to get to build that same kind of level of trust with your audience that video just kind of shortcuts that process. It just, it's so much quicker and so much easier to connect with people when they can see your face. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Epic. Epic. Wow. And like the good thing is hopefully we, we're, we're preaching to the converted here on, on, <laughs> on the pod. So, um, and, but if you're not convinced, that's pretty convincing. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
so what like you, you dived into the video world and then that sort of put a firecracker up the I guess on, on the the other side of the business, right? <laughs> Phoebe, don't look at me like that. This is a PG, not to not. But anyway, um, where are you going with that firecracker? They put the firecracker up the, the business, like, put lit a fire, okay, right? Uh-huh. Um, but what were you doing before that? Before you, you know, on maternity leave and things like that? Where, like, where's your background, just so that I can paint that picture? Uh, for me personally, a lot of completely unrelated businesses. Um, <laughs> I've done childcare. I, at one point, was a children's entertainer. I made balloon animals and painted children's faces. (laughs) I did kids' parties. Um, I do, I do think I need to bring that back to my channel at some point and and do a video (laughs) where I I do some of that. Um, The the closest thing that I had in connecting to what I do now was that I did some freelance graphic design for people. I, to be honest, for like a good 15 years, wasn't doing Mm. anything creative. And so Mm. for me, YouTube has actually been a massive creative outlet, even for myself, because it's been this opportunity for me to be creative regularly. And I've even said to some people that look at like the coloring I do and the artwork that I do, and they're like, well, you have to have studied, you have to have been doing this for years. And I'm like, well, actually... Like my coloring has improved literally on camera in front mm-hmm. of my audience because I don't have time to color outside of what I do on my videos. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky that I am a quick learner and I do have a sort of natural, like I, I just love anything creative. So I do have that to my benefit. But if you go back and watch the videos at the start of like even two years ago, you can actually see the progression in my own skills from those videos to the videos I do now. Like I have progressed on camera in front of my audience. I remember when I first started making the channel, it was like, am I even qualified to to do this channel? Because I am an amateur. And now people look at my stuff and go, how can you call yourself an amateur? Look at what you produce. And this is only two years later. Sometimes it's just the actual practice of doing something regularly that for me it was because I've created something every week. My skills have developed in that time and it's developed really fast, so fast that most of my audience haven't even realized that I've come that far in such a short time. So yeah, it's, um, it doesn't take much if you actually look back at my videos to see that I was an amateur when I started. (laughs) It's just, yeah, you develop. That is so inspiring and so relatable. I, on a personal note, am about to take on editing our YouTube videos myself. I'm filming them by myself. Usually my husband helps me, but he's stepping away from the channel for a while. And I, oh my gosh, I'm so intimidated. And I think what you said just related so much. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to, you know, know everything. You just start and you'll learn as you go and you'll improve as you go. And yeah, that's really inspiring. I love that. So I'm curious about your start with your products. So you said you were on maternity leave. You just started with one product and that got the, the 50 purchases. And where do you go from there? So you started with the one coloring book. How do you end up at this incredibly successful business that you run? What was the, the yeah. path there? So I started actually with digital products. Um, okay. I didn't put, I, in fact, at no point in my business have I ever got into debt or never outlaid any money that we didn't have. We've always, um, always been very conservative and never had to borrow any kind of money for the business. So it actually started like all of my products initially were digital and the first physical products that I did down the track were all print on demand because those kind of things are really like, they're easy to set up. They're a low barrier to entry. And you can also, you're not taking a big risk because I think 
especially until you really know your audience. It's not a good idea to invest $10,000 into a product if you don't know you're going to sell it. Like I just don't recommend that. In fact, I actually did try releasing a product range of mugs um, that are mugs and clipboards and pencil cases that I was convinced my audience would love. And they were luckily print on demand. We did spend about $200 just to get some samples to take some photos. And in the launch week, we sold one. And I think over the entire scheme of like two months, we sold about three and we eventually pulled them from our store and went, this was a flop, right? So sometimes it doesn't work. And that at that point, I think our audience was probably 5,000 people or 10,000 maybe. So things don't always take off in the way you expect. And so if you're going to go outlay a bunch of money or, you know, go into debt or put it on credit, you are taking a big risk. And so my advice and the way that we did things was trying to find digital products that we could start with. So all of my, because digital products, you create it once. And then if you have a system, we actually Mm -hmm. started on Etsy, but Mm -hmm. there's so many different websites now that you can set things up on. Even Shopify is like a really easy way to set up a website for people that don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But we started up on, started on Etsy and eventually moved over to WordPress where um, basically people put in their money and then it, the downloads all happen automatically. So it's somewhat, I would say passive income, but passive income is kind of a lie because there's so much marketing work. If you don't yeah. market it, it's not going to sell. So it's not truly passive. It's just yeah. the order process that's passive. Um, yeah. But the good thing is with digital products, like those things that we created seven years ago now are still available for sale. So like ones that work is done. Wow you can forever earn from that product. Now, whether you still like that product, like in my case, the books I designed seven years ago, I find embarrassing now and I kind of want to pull <laughs> off our website. That's a different discussion, but but you've got to start somewhere. Like you're never, you're never going to love everything forever. That's just, that's a good sign that you're growing. <laughs> but I started off, um, I actually made in the first um, year about 10 different digital books And I think it was in the first six months, I then went and Amazon actually have their own self-publishing service that you can use. And it's like a print on demand publishing service. So Amazon Mm -hmm. actually takes care of all the shipping themselves and your books become available on Amazon, which is a huge marketplace. Yeah. Hey, just a quick interruption. We have the Creator Generation Discord community. Join your fellow creators from all over the world. We are here to help you grow, thrive, succeed, help each other be accountable and get it done. So hit the link, join us in the Discord. I look forward to seeing you there. There's so many different ways to go with this because I've heard you talk to different creators at different times, like varying sizes, like really big creators, brand newbies the the other week. Um, And, you know, just hearing you now, it, it sounds really simple. Yeah. Right, like you, you get it. You, <laughs> sounds you, simple, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds simple. Yeah, it sounds super simple. Yeah. And I, I think part of what's, what's great is though you have a bit of a, an approach around simplifying it. So, you know, just talking about like starting with a digital product. But say I'm a new creator in, let's let's stay, say the drawing and colouring in. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of coming up in your shadow. Oh, a like, competitor, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, maybe no, smite them. But like, but like, how do I start? Like, you know, or any creator in any niche. Yeah. Like, I've got. Let's you know, say you're I've, a travel creator. Small... I don't know randomly. Let's <laughs> yeah. say you're a travel creator. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. Teach with, me how to with no what products, do. I do? With, with <laughs> yeah. no products that you're actively selling to your audience at the moment. Yeah. You 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 kind of got a niche. Yeah. How do you, like, how do you start? Scratch like, it. how do you start? <laughs> yeah. Thinking yeah. I was going to say first of all, as an Australian, I'm embarrassed that you say niche and not niche. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like that's just that's just. No, please, please call her out on that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Um, feel free to scrub that later in the edit if you know that's too embarrassing to admit to admit that you're pronouncing niche wrong. But anyway, <laughs> um, no. So I my advice to people is this is where it's really important to listen to your audience. Now, when I say listen to your audience, I don't mean just read all the comments and listen to the people that are the loudest because that's not helpful because that is often a really loud minority. But <laughs> if you're actually active with your audience and and often you need to have multiple ways to sort of also be available to your audience. So whether that's like YouTube, but also like a group somewhere, whether it's on Discord or a Facebook group or just somewhere else, yeah. or whether it's an email list or something else where you give your audience like a two-way method of communicating with you. Mm-hmm. And whether it's you or if you have a bigger team, someone in your team, just paying attention to what people say. And even more, if you're available, like if you can, like I spent a lot of time in other groups, especially when I was smaller, because you do have a little bit more time. I was in at one point at the start, 200 different Facebook groups that were aimed at adult coloring. Whoa. Now, now I have left a lot of those groups because at this point in my business, that would be a waste of my time and it would be a huge distraction. But when I was starting, that was really crucial because that allowed me to really get to know who else was in this space and it really, I had a huge chance to see what are people's common questions? What are their common frustrations? Mm. What is everyone talking about? Because you'll see a lot of stuff in those groups and a lot of stuff in those general conversations, even just check Reddit, like just figure out and pay attention to your niche, niche, (laughs) (laughs) pay attention to your audience, pay attention to your community and even get to know other creators and find out what the space is about. And the more you get to know your audience, get to know what bothers them, get to know what their needs are. Oh, for me, problems. Yes. And once like the best products are not the products that are about you. And I think a lot of creators make the mistake of the first product they launch. And I learned this because my, remember that flopped product range I talked about before it was merch. It was cute mugs and tote bags and things like that, that had cute slogans on them. How many creators start with the t-shirt with their logo on it? And it's like the only people that are going to buy that stuff are your super fans. Now, not everyone, especially when you're a smaller creator, has super fans for a very long time. Eventually, yes, for a big creator with millions, you'll have them, but that's like a very small pocket of your audience. If you want to get Mm -hmm. mass scale, you need to find a product that actually meets a problem. And it can even be a problem that your audience Mm -hmm. don't know they have yet, which is where I've sort of really tapped into accidentally some, well, not accidentally, because I did all this, right? But I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that I was doing all this to the degree that I was, where I mean, the best products in the world that have come out that people go, wow, I can't believe this never existed are the products that met a problem, but even more that no one else realized the problem existed until it was fixed. (laughs) That's kind of like the ideal. Um, In my case, that was I, and it was, it was almost when I started coloring myself, which funny enough was after I was making coloring books for a good (laughs) six months. I didn't own a set of pencils when I started. People kept being like, great, you sell coloring books. Obviously you're the expert and you know what I need to do. So how do I use them? And I was like, uh, ask someone else. Like, I don't know. I don't color. I just make the books. Um, but no, I realized, okay, I probably need to actually color myself. First thing that happened when I started coloring is I realized I didn't really like my own books. So I started to adjust my own products a bit. So again, actually paying attention to your niche is really important. Um, I adapted my style of my own products because the more I used them, the more I realized they didn't really work for me. Um, And so I 
even eventually pulled one of my books off the market and reworked it because I didn't like it anymore as a consumer. Um, That is sort of its own little story. But one of the biggest things that I found was just repeated over and over and over is that people were like, I just really suck at the colors. I suck at picking colors. I don't know how to pick colors that work well together. And it's just, it's hard. And for me, that was intuitive. I just always, I've just always found colors easy. I love colors. I'm a little bit of a color nerd. So like, that's just never something that I struggled with. Um, I ended up initially, I had a blog as a part of my website. I very much started before video. I was like, the way to sort of make it online is to have a website and have a blog mm, yeah. and give freebies on the blog and put them on Pinterest. Yeah. And this all worked, by the way. Not 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 saying it didn't work. This was a really good system until I had YouTube going. Um, 90% of my income came from pinning stuff on Pinterest and pinning freebies going to my blog and then people on the blog finding my products and then coming and buying my products. That was my system before YouTube. And so I had these blog posts where I would just create all of these pictures of these color palettes and I put them all over Pinterest. And some of them, even with my small audience, were getting reshared 50,000 times for one picture. And my reach on Pinterest, I ended up with like 40,000 followers on Pinterest, but my reach was 10 million people per month. Oh my God. And I kind of went, all right, so people really like this color palette thing, right? (laughs) They're they're just like, I'm trying to do coloring books here and I've got all these people sharing my color palettes. And that's not really my focus, but maybe we should put something together for the color palette people. Cause like, obviously it's attracting people. Like I was a bit like, it's not my main thing, but let's just do it anyway. So I ended up creating what's called the color catalog, which is a digital product. So it's not at this point, we're still completely digital, but I basically took 250 of these color palettes that I developed at that point over probably seven months. And I put them all in a digital catalog and I spent another two or three months going and individually getting all of the the hex codes and the RGB codes and CMYK codes for every single color and every single palette. So you're talking 250 palettes with like five colors in each. So you can do the math, a few thousand um, or at least a thousand. I don't know, but went and found them all, put them in a book. Um, It was PDF, but I created hyperlinks and did some extra stuff in InDesign, Adobe, uh, yeah, InDesign, and then created this interactive PDF. And we started selling that on our website. And long story short, because there's a lot to it, but that is now four years old, that product. And when we checked it this year, because we've now got two volumes of that product, we'd sold about 20,000 of those in the last four years. Oh, wow. And it sells more than any of our coloring books. It sells more than pretty much all of my coloring books piled together. This outsells them all because it really met a need. And the the reviews on it were just flooding in and flooding in and flooding in because it met a need. And people were using it for all kinds of things. I've got people using it for every possible kind of craft you can think of. But I've also got people using it for things like eyeshadow inspiration. That's the one that I keep using as an example because it catches me by surprise that that's like even a thing. Um, And people just using it for completely different things that I would never expect. But then where my latest product comes in is the biggest feedback that I had from people and the biggest thing holding people back from buying that didn't buy it was I love this, but I wish I could hold it in my hands. And that's the feedback we've had over like three years. And for a long time, I was like, I would love to get it in a book, but like trying to do that self-published was going to cost me about $60. And I just didn't think anyone would pay more than that for a, for a book. Mm-hmm. And we would make no money on it, even if they did. And so it just wasn't viable. And so we never did. 
Um, and then more recently, in the last few years, I've started doing another product, which is a coloring planner. And over this time of developing the coloring planner, we did take a risk and finally did a printed product. We broke even the first two years and didn't make any profit, but it was kind of like we took a risk as long as we broke even, we were happy. Mm. And then the third year, we finally made a profit and we found a different manufacturer and I was really happy with their quality. And in January this year, Shane, my husband and I, we had the discussion and said, I think we're finally ready to talk to this manufacturer and see if we can do a physical color catalog because we know people will just love this, right? They've been asking for it for years and we know how popular the original catalog was and we know that they want it in their hands. Um, Plus in general, like physical products do sell better than digital products because it's tangible. People love it. It it also becomes a really good gift. And when I was thinking through how I use it and how I like to use it, I was like, I feel like the pages in a book would actually be a restriction because I want to look at five things at once. And so thinking it through further, I came up with this idea of them being cards and you to be able to hold them up like you do with paint swatches from the shop, you know, to be able to hold up five different paint swatches and compare them. And I don't even remember where the idea of the cube started, but I just came up with this idea of what if it was in a box and I don't know what the box would look like. Maybe we'd put some of the palettes on the outside, but I was like, I just want it to be this cube, like a perfect cube. And so we literally spent since, since January this year, um, we got a prototype and we were, I was trying to explain to the manufacturer what exactly I was picturing. Cause it wasn't something we'd seen before, but I'd, I'd sent them those, um, trivial pursuit box pictures yeah, of those boxes. Exactly yes. <laughs> of those little, um, rectangle boxes. And I was like, I kind of want this, but I want it like a cube. <laughs> and, I totally so, get yeah. And so I sent them all these pictures and I was trying to describe the product. And eventually we got this prototype and we've been tweaking it. And look, in July, we finally announced to our audience. And while I don't recommend this as a method, we, because we knew our audience so well, and we knew that they would want this product and we'd already done the research, I decided to do a cold launch. That's probably something I would not recommend to most people. Like I recommend doing the market research, getting pre-sales and all that kind of stuff. But we decided we did pre-sales, but we'd already paid the manufacturer. (laughs) We did the pre-sales in order to sort of get some money, but we already had them printing. Um, We did a cold launch and said they're available for pre-sale. Here they are. This is what it is. And in the first two days, we we ended up with $50,000 in revenue in the first two days. Um, which for context is like before that was about a month revenue for us. Like that is, we'd never seen that kind of, um, excitement over one thing. And since then it's, it's been crazy. Like we've just, we've basically sold out of the first run and we've gone back and us, we've got the next run going with the manufacturer and everybody wants to know about it. Now everyone wants to talk about it. And the audience, the first run has finally started arriving. The pre-sales are arriving and we've got masses of people in our Facebook group posting their pictures of them arriving. And then hundreds of people commenting saying, I'm still waiting on mine. I'm I'm so anxious. And the hype that it has created has been so exciting. It's been like nothing we've ever seen. And I feel like we've finally found what is going to be our million dollar product. And it has taken us four years from the original concept of this product. But really this product for us has really been the perfect example of, we listened to our audience, we really paid close attention and Mm. we met a need that actually a lot of them didn't realize how much they needed it. And then they see it and they go, Mm. that will solve my problem perfectly. And, And then what's happening is like, I've just done an expo on the weekend where I actually went out in person for the first time and was talking to people 
every person I talked to would buy one and then walk around and then come back with a friend and then they would be selling it to their friend and I'd be like, I'll just stand back because they'd be then selling it to their friend and telling them how amazing it is and they'd sell one to their friend as well. Like it's it's become a real product that people are just proud to talk about and that's really exciting for us. Awesome. I think a huge takeaway from that too. Yeah, Thank congratulations. You. <laughs> I think a huge takeaway from that is the moment where you decided not to publish it as a book and even though you didn't have the answer then <laughs> you waited and then you got it right and I know I have I am guilty of this sometimes you just think I just want to get something out there I want to do something I need to make some money what should I do and you rush it and it bombs <laughs> there's a lot to be said for patience yeah yeah on the flip side of that though what I, I, I'm also seeing and, and loving is that you're putting things out there you to, and whether that's as a product or even just as content, like you're talking about the, mm. the swatches and, and the color mm. palettes, um, and you know you're you're getting the signals, whether yeah. positive or negative, and you f- you're like taking that on board and being like, okay, create more of those, and not just create more of those, like, and if you extrapolate that to a different content niche or niche for you, Phoebes. I- um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, distract from my point just for the barb. Um, but if you take that to a different, you know, content vertical, you, you go, okay, from a content perspective, you go, okay, this is working. I like making this. My audience clearly likes this. Mm. Keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Simple. But then also like, okay, there's something in this. What else can I yes. uh, create from this? And whether that is more content or a product or a service that is actually going to be valued. Yes. Like, you know, that's the signals that you're seeing. And then you're, you're experimenting with your audience and you're validating things. Like it's, yeah. it's fantastic. And that's where the digital products can be a really good way to validate some of those ideas. Because you can put in a lot less effort and get something out quicker. You can get at something really low value and just not low quality, but just something that's no. really <laughs> quick and easy for your people to download. Like, yeah. so, okay, I didn't end up giving you any examples for your travel niche, but like yeah, travel niche off the top of my head, not really knowing too much about what you're looking at, but like, do people, are there templates that people could help? Like if they're traveling, is there an itinerary template or a checklist? What do you pack? You know, stuff like that. So that might be something that you might be able to use as a free download. Or if you could have like 10 different checklists that that would help them or like different suggestions or things like that. If you have 10 or 20 pages of different things that might work, you can then put them in a bundle. And even if it's only like a $10 bundle, that's your first product. And so it starts as something simple like that. And if you can come up with, say, three or four different ideas, you can then start to see which one is attracting people and then start to look at the feedback on those things to then work out which direction to take them or which thing to add next. So sometimes it's as simple as something like that. Um, Checklists or courses or there there are so many different ways you can take things. I find um, any kind of template is always a good place to start because for anything, people like to organize things. And yeah. I think for any niche, there is something you can organize. And so, Absolutely. and not to mention when it comes to checklists and templates, you've got the option of printables or you've got the option these days of things like Notion or Excel or any of those yeah. apps that people want to be able to do digitally that you can actually create templates for those as well. So you can go either direction, even just there. So just a little idea to get you started. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. I think also maybe taking, like you said, taking the time to super sleuth. So maybe thinking about what do I actually do before I travel to prepare and then turning that into something, right? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's just a simple list, but it's like, okay, one list, maybe people wouldn't pay a dollar for one list, but if you can think of 10 different lists, they might. 
They might. And you'll actually find that once you start to bundle things together, it becomes less about the price tag you put on it and more about who you are and what you're representing and the problem that you're solving. And then that's really where it comes to play where, yeah, then you can just start testing ideas. It becomes more about like, I think one trap that I've sort of noticed that people do fall into when they start creating products is they get really caught up on the price. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's people try to price it on the time it took them or the, um, even the manufacturing costs or stuff like that. And really, I mean, there are a million bits of advice on pricing, so I don't want to go too much into that, but it really does come down to, um, I, Look, I'll say one thing. One is um, you have to look at the value they're going to get out of it. What problem does it solve? How much time does it save them? And the other thing that I've sort of tried to with my stuff is look at my audience and what can they afford. So if you're doing it for like business people and that's your audience, things can be priced a little bit higher. But if you're trying to do it for like a family and everyday thing, you need it to be more affordable. And so like I've had a lot of people say to me, your color cubes are too cheap, especially at – the Vitsummer conference we just went to, people are saying to me, you could charge double for this. And I've said to them, no, I made a very, very strong goal to keep the price of one cube under $50 because under yeah. $50 is a no-brainer thing. People won't think twice. They'll pull out their wallet. Yeah. You make it above yeah. $50, they're going to have to stop and think about it because they've got other expenses too. And a lot of my audience don't have money to blow. Like they've, yeah. They actually do need to be a bit more savvy, so I need to keep it affordable. And that was actually what my pricing was built around. It was built around what my audience could afford and also built around some of my other product prices, not built around what I could charge because I probably could charge double, but then it would be less available and less people would buy it. And I might end up with more money at the end, but that wasn't that like the purpose of products isn't always just to make money. And like, for me, that's not really my end goal here. It's more about helping people than about the money. So well, you have to charge well for your products. Yeah. And if you price them too cheap, you actually devalue your products as well. I think people forget that sometimes that yeah. you can actually devalue um, like people when they spend money on something, actually treat it with more respect as well because they've invested yeah. in it. So they'll appreciate it more. So there's like a thing there. Pricing's fascinating, right? Because it's the, it's the, it's literally the, the million dollar question that everyone yeah. asks. Yeah, like- it is a tricky one too. There are so many variables to it and it's a tricky one, mm. but I think a lot of people, when they're trying to work out why something isn't selling, they look at the price. And I think nine out of 10 times, if your product's not selling, it's probably not the price. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I, when I've spoken to people, because I've done a few, I don't generally offer coaching, but there's one or two times, or more so with friends, when they've come to me for advice and they've said, this isn't selling or, um, and their first question is, should I change my prices? And nine out of 10 times, I'd say it's actually not your prices because You've just got to look in the mainstream market. Well, it's often often other things. It's often your marketing. (laughs) It's your positioning. It's do you stand out from every other product that is the same as yours? Why would people buy from you when they can buy from something else? Because if it was about price, people aren't going to buy from some independent seller anyway. They're going to buy from Spotlight or Kmart. Like if they, you know, if they wanted to buy just based on price, there's always a cheaper option. So if you're you're just... If you're just competing on price, you can't. It's as simple as that. Um, and you're only if you're lowering your prices, you're actually only attracting the audience that are trying to get you to lower your prices further. And those people, to be honest, often are the people that are going to be the most frustrating customers, that are going to ask right. for refunds, that are going to cause you trouble. They're not going to be the people that are going to support you. So yeah, right. racing to try and drop your prices, to try and undercut your audience is really not the way to go. 
Instead, you need to look at how can I show my audience that this is worth this. Now, I don't think you should raise your prices crazy high either. You just need to look at what would people expect to pay if it weren't me? But then also, like, I I have seen people that price things triple because I'm famous and you should pay that. Like, I think that's also a wrong approach. But I think there's just more to look at. And I think if something isn't selling and you've priced it fairly evenly with what you see every other shop selling that's similar, well, I guess Mm -hmm. the bigger question is, why would they buy from you and not those 20 other shops? What are you doing differently and what can you do differently? And yeah. maybe it's just that you need to get more personal with people and be a part of a community more yeah. because these days people are buying from people they recognize and they trust yeah. far more. Like they're, they're not so much worried about trying to find the cheapest because again, they would just go to Kmart because yeah. or Amazon. If they're wanting to buy from independent sellers, they're going to buy from the people they feel like they know. And again, that's where video comes back in. So it all comes around. (laughs) Full circle. So if you're starting out, you want to get into this, you want to start with digital products or you want to start selling products of some type, do you have to be a certain size? you have to have a certain number of followers or can anybody start at any point? I started with zero. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I started. I created my first product before I had an audience so because yeah. i mean it's you've got to be careful um so i created my first product and then when went in facebook groups and go hey does anyone want this yeah. i i don't know that i'd recommend that in general because you've got to really know the groups and i was really lucky that when i created that free coloring book the adult coloring craze had just taken off and no one else was doing that yeah. now when people go and do that they go create a coloring book because i was selling it for like three dollars people go do that now and everyone's like get out of here don't try to advertise you're not one of us And in most niches, that's what happens. So that's not actually, I think I just got lucky and I was very, I didn't know what I was doing then either. I didn't come into this knowing marketing. I have learned along the way. I think no matter what size creator you are, if you can focus on connecting with your audience and actually serving them and focus on helping them, your audience Mm -hmm. will grow quickly and your products will sell because people just love who you are and what you do. So I think those two things of like creating a product base and creating an audience do need to be treated as two separate things. Mm -hmm. And to a certain point, you do just have to accept that some of this stuff does take time. You're not going to blow up in your first year. I mean, I'm seven years into this and we do have a team of four now, but that's only happened in the last year or two. You know, I did spend Mm -hmm. the first year getting our hundred dollars a month and going yay we made it you know like it's it it does start slow and it starts slow for everyone and when you stop and compare what you're doing to the other channel that looks like they're doing everything the same as you but they're four years older than you you're not you're not going to be able to compete with them and all you're going to find is that you'll have that that fear of missing out and you'll have that Mm -hmm. sense that you're not doing enough and you'll be comparing your numbers to theirs and you're just going to find yourself frustrated and disappointed the best thing is to just Keep doing what you're doing. Just keep putting out new content, create some products and just try to be there for your audience. And over time you will find that people will start to love you and they'll start to brag about you to their friends <laughs> and it will happen. You will build that audience. Oh my gosh. That's so relatable and so inspiring. I'm all jazzed up now, gang. <laughs> well, Phoebe, let me put you on the spot then. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure... In that uh, creative mind of yours, you have have a few ideas you've been tossing around as oh as ideas for you know products for 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 you and your channel. Mm-hmm. We've got a bona fide expert mm-hmm. here. I don't Are you know if willing I'd say to that, share sure. any, or you know, <laughs> or and and let's see if there's a feas- do a quick feasibility. Oh 
my gosh. You know? Yeah. Like You don't have to. Like hot or not. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Hot, hot or, or not. not. Exactly. Hot yeah. trash or hot fire. Oh. <laughs> Let's rate my yes. ideas. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, well, well, I was trying to be more helpful than, than burning. But, um, no, give it to look, me. Look, whatever gets them views. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, definitely I'm on the spot. But I think probably, like, my mind is thinking about some of the stuff I do. Um, you know, actually, one thing that people say to me a lot, and it's not so much travel-related, but I know a lot of people ask about... Matt and I are known for our media kit. <laughs> Matt does an amazing mm-hmm. media kit, which all creators need, and we're known for it. And I, um, I often think about, should I be, should I be templating that? Should I be helping mm-hmm. other creators? Because it's something I get asked a lot, and I, I do a fair bit of talking <laughs> in life and now. Um, yeah, so that's something I'd like to be able to direct to people. But you know what? Instantly there, I'm going, I've instantly got that limiting belief on myself already, Sarah, and I'm going, who would want that from me? My, my kid would be good enough. <laughs> who do I think I am? That, yeah, who would even buy yeah, that off me? I guess I'm shutting that. myself down already. Yeah, and, and I think we all do that to a point. I mean, I've definitely had those conversations. I think the biggest question there to ask is not who would buy it from you, but does yeah. creating that work for the audience you're trying to build? So that's, that's the, that's the question I would actually ask when you're creating a product is creating a media kit is cause that's going to attract creators and other people yeah. that are trying to copy what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be building an audience of people that are trying to do what you do, but then you've said you're a travel channel. So that's actually two completely different audiences. Yeah. So does building a media kit and attracting that different audience actually become a distraction from your travel channel and what you're actually trying to build with that? Gang, it's hot trash. Let's refocus. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, but the question is, is it the right it. idea yeah. for you? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a media kit template would be the perfect idea. Maybe it's the perfect idea for someone listening who's about to steal that idea. No, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Look your ears, all of you. And, and I, I can confirm, um, Phoebe, the media kit is fire that you guys put together. Um, but maybe that's a collab through changer and create a generation and then yeah that would be um, a better fit yeah you don't spend as much time and effort on it other than and we we, we'll figure that one out off air but then yeah i i like that feedback though on on like what's what's a good fit yeah again for the audience that you because you do speak to a lot of creators not just with us i do but i do speak to a lot more travel aficionados Mm. i do get actually okay it's coming to me it's coming to me i get a lot of dms and messages people say uh, but essentially it boils down to this. We have a lot of videos that are destinations, right? So maybe I'll make like, maybe I have like 20 Singapore videos on my channel, but they're all individual videos. So maybe people don't want to invest all these hours into watching all of these videos and they don't really want to go to my website and pour through all those blog posts. They want it all in one place. Mm. So maybe some kind of a guide, like destination yes. guides. That is actually essentially how, yes, because that is essentially how a few of my printables were created is they started as blog posts and people were like, I don't want to have to print from the website. Can you give it to me in a printable? That is, I'm pretty sure that was what started the color catalog is because I actually put them in blog posts and people were like, can you just make it a printable? Yeah. Yeah, And it happened with a few of our other products where they're like, I want this as a printable. And I was like, fine, I'll put it on a piece of paper for you and I'll charge you $5. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. And people would pay it. And um, yeah, absolutely. And a few of our products from that, it was like, oh, actually a lot of people are willing to pay the $5 for this in like a bit more of a book form. So you make it a bit prettier and you start putting a cover on it. You put a bit more effort into it. And one trick that I've told a few people actually at VidSummit was um, – be careful how you market things. If you market it as an ebook, 
people expect yeah. it to be free or under five dollars if you go and market it as a guide and yeah. embed some videos in it because you can in pdfs right oh, you can oh, or at yeah. least embed links in it in a in an inter in a pdf you can in, you can embed buttons you can embed interactive elements yeah. it's now not really an ebook it's a guide oh, so by calling it a guide you can now choose how to price it and you can choose how to market it. And if you can work out how to market it alongside courses and, and compare it like in the way that you word it and the way that you present it alongside courses instead of alongside eBooks, people at the price point are not going to be going, why is this a $30, yeah. for example, eBook? They'll be looking at going, why isn't this a $500 course? So the yeah. perceived value is much greater. Because the value that you would put in that guide probably yeah. is going to be more like a $30 product. Yeah. But yeah, the way that you would. And in fact, I'm very, very careful with our color catalog because it is actually a, a PDF file. We yeah. refer to it as a catalog and a guide and we use those kind of words or a resource. Yeah. We don't use the word ebook. Also because yeah. ebook people expect it to then be able to be used on like Kindle and stuff like that. Like yeah. we don't want to confuse people. Yeah. But um, there have been very, I've only ever had like one or two comments on like the Facebook ads and the cold ads. Cause that's where you get the real haters because <laughs> yeah. it's like a cold ad and you get some people that are like, so this is just a glorified, like, why isn't this $5? You know, <laughs> otherwise most people will are quite happy to pay the $30 for it yeah. and, and spend the money because they see that it as a resource that solves a problem and you can be marketed as that. I mean, people yeah. sell courses for anywhere from a thousand to like $10,000 if your ebook has solved yeah. the same problem, why should it be $5? Yeah. So just positioning it differently and actually choosing the way that you market and the words that you use. And that's where copywriting is actually a skill that you don't yeah. have to be a professional copywriter, but I do recommend people try and learn some basic copywriting. I definitely yeah. kind of just geeked out on it for a good six months and just tried to learn all I could because it helps you just to learn how to reword things and use better terminology that just helps your audience to understand things better and can position things completely differently that totally changes how your things are valued by people. Wow. I am having a million ideas at once. Oh my God. <laughs> I need to go take some notes. <laughs> well, on that, just lastly, last piece of advice, how do then do you set about achieving like these epic goals? Like, like how do we I'm help ready. Phoebe and all the other creators actually go and do it? So, okay. So what I would do in Phoebe's shoes now, is mm. I would start to first just start to plan it out, but then mm -hmm. start to hint to your audience. I'm thinking about putting this together. What would you like to see included? Right. You can start to sort of yeah. ask your audience, get, get their feedback. The yes. Then for one, if you get no feedback, you know, it's a dead idea, <laughs> right? <Okay>. But <laughs> people should, if you've got the right idea, should start to get excited. They should start to give you ideas. It will help you develop the product better, but mm. it will also help them to really get excited. What I then did with the color catalog launch was actually then for like my inner circle. So if you have like some kind of private group somewhere, give them a discount when I pre-launched. So I did a pre-launch. The good thing about a pre-launch is you can kind of get some money while you're still working on it. It does give you a sense of accountability, but you have to be the kind of person that can actually follow through. And I wouldn't do it too soon. If you do a pre-launch six months before you're ready, people oh. get angry. Yeah. <laughs> it needs I to be like, it needs to be like a three week pre-launch maybe, you know? So, okay. so when you're sort of ready, I would get some, like, just get a cover up, get some promo stuff done. If you need to hire a graphic designer to help you just get some of that sort of formatting done, do that. Yeah. You know, if you need to spend a hundred bucks to get this thing together, I think that is worthwhile, that yeah. investment. Um, and then, yeah, get the pre-launch, but give your core audience like a really good discount. 
Like I did 50% off, right, for my yeah. real core audience because then you get it into a lot of hands and you tell them, I just want you to give like public feedback because if you can get your like super fans raving about it, they then become like ambassadors and they spread the word. And the other thing that has been huge for us is actually trying to set up, we set up an affiliate program mm-hmm. and so we then actually sent it out to other people. And that's where oh, that whole thing started with YouTubers promoting our products is that they then get 20% when they actually promote our products to other people. So it gives them an incentive to talk to it, Amazing. talk about it to other people. So if you know other travel bloggers or other travel yeah. YouTubers saying, hey, do you mind mentioning this? And you'll get an affiliate cut or whatever. Yeah. It depends on how connected you are with other people. If yeah. you have those connections, that's a great time when you're about to launch something to use that just to help give it that boost. And hopefully from there, once you finish the product, then it's just a marketing game. And then it's just about making sure that you take the feedback and then, you know, a few months down the yeah. track, make some tweaks and updates if you need yeah. to. And yeah. Can I ask one question? Just one. I'm sure this will be the last question. I'm sorry, Ant. It's just occurred to me when you were talking about, you know, getting that product in the hands with digital products. Are you concerned that, you know, if I download it and it's a PDF, can't I just send it to everybody I know as an attachment to an email and then I don't get that money? (laughs) No, absolutely. So piracy is huge. And I have talked to so many people that actually let piracy stop them from doing anything because the fear of it being stolen is huge. And yeah. it's a legitimate thing. I'm already um, afraid. I don't even have yeah. one yet. I'm already scared. The thing that I've realized is that there are so many more honest people than non-honest people out there. And look, we do have a few things in place to kind of try to catch if someone puts it out there. But in reality, I found three weeks ago that there's a website called Scribd that has like, um, you can download and uh, look at books and stuff. I don't know how much on there is legit now that I found our thing on there, but I found our color catalog on there. Turns out it's been on there for five years and been downloaded 10,000 times for free. So that was a big kick in the guts for us. And we only just found that like three weeks ago. And we scout the internet regularly to find when people have been doing this, right? And so it does happen. The thing is, you just have to look at like, you either don't put it out there and you get nothing or you put it out there with that risk, knowing that some people will steal it, but knowing there are hundreds of thousands of honest people out there that will pay you for it. And you kind of got to take the good with the bad. Like piracy is a real thing, especially like I'm an artist. So like, I also have the thing of like everything I, everything I do is going to be pirated when I go online. It's kind of just the sucky part of being an online creator. And so it you kind of, it's, it's the weeds that you can't separate from the, the rest of the garden. You just have to pull them out when you see them. There's no way to grow a garden without any weeds. It's impossible. So I think you just got to not be afraid of it because it's either that or you don't have an online business. So true. Yep. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Dear listeners, <laughs> please don't steal other people's shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, there's our PSA for today. How do you like it, you know, to your creator when someone else just uses your content, re-uploads it mm. or doesn't ask for permission? It makes you really pissed off and angry. Really right? deep down so in your do soul it. too. <laughs> yeah. Like Phoebe. Phoebe gets real angry. She might seem happy, but she, she like punches holes in walls. So don't do it. And, you know, because remember how it makes you feel. Yeah. I think too, the 10,000 people that downloaded it thought, score, I got it for free. And it's like, no. that's 10,000. Yeah. That's wow. 
That's the equivalent that's of like $300,000 that's actually technically been stolen from me. Whoa. And all of those 10,000 people that downloaded it for free are technically a part of that. And so while they mm-hmm. thought they were getting a nice freebie and there's no, no one got hurt <laughs> by that, it's like actually I as a personal creator got yeah. hurt by that. So yeah. it's something to think about when you download stuff for free from the internet or people that just yeah. save pictures off Pinterest and go, ah, no harm, no foul. It's like, well... It's, it's not entirely true, but that's a whole other discussion yeah. for another day. <laughs> Look, by all, me- by all means, share your Netflix and Disney account logins, yeah. but don't steal from YouTubers. <laughs> like, is that the story? Moral? No, no, I don't do no. those either. I'm pretty... Uh... No, we don't do that either. I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm joking. Don't steal I'm like, passwords. I'm like the Nazi with copyright stuff. I'm like, no, because, because I cop it from both sides. So I'm like, yeah. if I cop 100%. it as a creator side, then I become yeah. the totally strict on the other side too i'm very much like no i'll even back up disney i'm like nah, i get it oh my goodness what a tangent i reckon on that tangent it's time to wrap it up before we go down what a, some other rabbit hole um but sarah aka sarah renee clark is, that's your full name and your brand name thanks so much for hanging out with us on creative generation it's been fun informative and we've gone down tangents it's no, like thank you for having me it was great Awesome. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Create a generation. Look on the mic.